With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Wonder Woman. 
Uh, here's the story right here. Last month, director James Cameron gave his thoughts on Wonder Woman, calling it a step backward, and that the self-congratulatory back-patting in Hollywood is misguided because the star is an objective, objectified icon. This later drew comments from the film's director, Patty Jenkins, who said that there is no right or wrong kind of call for one. Now in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Cameron doubled down on his stance, and here are some of the highlights from that. On calling Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman an objectified icon, James Cameron says this, Yes, I'll stand by that. I mean, she was Miss Israel, and she was wearing kind of a bustier costume that was very form-fitting. She's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. To me, that's not breaking ground. They had Raquel Welch doing stuff like that in the 1960s. It was all in a context of talking about why Sarah Connor, or what Linda created in 1991, was, if not ahead of its time at least a breakthrough in its time. I don't think it was really ahead of its time because we're still not giving women these type of roles. On Patty Jenkins' response that not every woman had to look hard and tough to be strong, James Cameron says this, Linda looked great. Of course, we're talking about Linda Hamilton. She just wasn't treated as a sex object. There was nothing sexual about her character. It was about angst. It was about will. It was about determination. She was crazy. She was complicated. She wasn't there to be liked or ogled but she was central, and the audience loved her by the end of the film. So as much as I applaud Patty directing the film and Hollywood uh, letting, in quotation marks, a woman direct a major action franchise, I don't think there was anything groundbreaking in Wonder Woman. I thought it was a good film, period. I was certainly shocked that my comment was a controversial statement. It was pretty obvious in my mind. I just think Hollywood doesn't get it about women in commercial, in commercial franchises. Drama, they got that cracked. But the second they start making, they start to make a big commercial action film, they think they have to appeal to 18-year-old males or 14-year-old males, whatever it is. Look, it was probably a little bit of a simplistic remark on my part, and I'm not walking it back. But I will add a little detail to it, which is I like the fact that sexually she had the upper hand with the male character, which I thought was fun. On the production schedule of the Avatar sequels, Avatar 2 and 3, according to James Cameron, will be captured together and then go through post-production sequentially. Then we go back and capture 4 and 5. They're all written and they're all designed. So we literally hit the ground running the day after Avatar 3 comes out, starting capture on 4 and 5, and then post those and release those. That's the plan. So it's kind of a 2 and 2 structure. Uh, J.D., what you take care about? Cameron, uh, James Cameron's remarks here about uh, in response once again to uh, Wonder Woman. Well, I mean, if he signed uh, basically the project, how signed to the project, unlike Avatar, how hopefully uh, it'll be a big success like the first one. But I think right now he's got to deal with the Avatar sequels, obviously. How that's the big thing, however. But uh, you never know; they might call a new director in. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, time will tell. But uh, like we said, uh, this was one of the bigger hits of 2017, and it's become a big, big hit. In, indeed, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's so we have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, um, let's wait and see what happens with uh, with that here. Of course, is time time time, uh, time progresses. And speaking of James Cameron, here's another story here, of course, in reference to, of course, one of his biggest successes, or, of course, obviously was the Terminator franchise. Uh, Joseph Lee brings us this story here. As James Cameron now defended the use of an older Terminator in the latest Terminator movie. 
Hmm. Okay. Let's see what this story here is all about. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, James Cameron, the creator of the Terminator franchise and producer of the upcoming sixth film, along with director Tim Miller, spoke about how they would get, get around Arnold Schwarzenegger's age to let him play the T-800 again. Schwarzenegger will be 71 by the time the new film begins production. The film will be released on July 26, 2019. Here are some highlights. Cameron on using Schwarzenegger's age as a part of the story. Cameron says this, You don't have to get around it. The beauty of it is he's a cyborg, and so the ORG part is on the outside, meaning organism. And Reese says it in the first film. They sweat, they have bad breath, because they were supposed to be infiltration units. So there's this idea that flesh sort of she's over a metal, metal endoskeleton. So that would, that would age normally. So I would say he's one that's been in action and operation for a long time, and that's all I want to say about the actual story part of it. Uh, also, uh, <clears throat> the director says on how this Terminator is different from the one in Terminator Genesis. Ken Miller says this, I haven't talked to Arnold about this, so I could get in trouble. But he, he's been in all the other movies, unlike Linda. I do think there, there, there needs to be a reason to be different here. I like my sci-fi grounded. I like my characters grounded. And what Jim said about the exterior aging while the interior remains the same, well, not the interior, as in the brain, as emotionally and intellectually, he will have evolved. They're learning machines. But that's the way to make it different than it was. Even in Terminator Genesis, he looked, I should stop. He was a slightly, slightly gussied up version of the old Terminator. I think we should embrace his age. And that's what that's what's going to make it interesting and fresh for the fans. On ignoring everything other than the first two films, this is a continuation of the story from Terminator One and Terminator Two, and we're, we're pretending the other films were a bad dream or an alternate timeline, which is permissible in our multiverse. This was really driven more by this is James Cameron saying this, really driven more by Tim than anybody. Surprisingly, because I came in pretty at agonistic about where we took it. The only thing I insisted on was that we somehow revamp it and reinvent it for the 21st. Uh, interesting point of view here, J.D., about the uh, next uh, chapter in the Terminator franchise. Well, let's just hope, unlike the other two, however, which had up and down mixed reviews at times, how some good, some positive, and like the other two, however, this will be a big hit, but... Uh, I mean, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I mean, could the Terminator franchise, uh, just like the Matrix and that, just go away? I mean, they've been very successful. They've been big blockbuster hits over the years in video rentals and DVD sales, however, too, as well as Blu-rays. But is this, do we really need to have another one added to the legacy? I don't think so. Well, well apparently, like I said, they're going to continue to push it and all that. They're... they're they're still, they want to try to keep it as alive as they possibly can. I mean, of course, I was a big fan of the first two, obviously. And some of the others that came out, yeah, they were okay, but you know, they were not like the other two. They were they were not they were not like the, the first they were the original the original two was awesome in my personal opinion. Um <clears throat> but uh we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And as I say it comes out in July two thousand nineteen, so we'll have to wait at least a couple more years for to see this movie indeed. So uh I'll bring you one more story. Then there's a then there's um, uh, there's a there's one wrestling story I'm going to bring up, um, and I'm going to. I think I know what it is. And then 
Uh, and then, of course, I will turn J.D. loose on several stories that he may have as well. And then, of course, we'll get into the movie trivia challenge. This right here came uh, uh, <clears throat> from, uh, of course, Joseph Lee's on a roll here today here with the stories. Uh, came up here, um, as this story pops up here today, CBS chairman says NFL ratings are up despite the claims made by President Donald Trump. One of President Donald Trump's talking points during his attacks on the NFL is that the ratings for games were down. According to CBS chairman Leslie Mubez, the opposite is true. TMZ spoke with Mubez and asked him about how the NFL was doing in light of the recent controversy. Mubez said the following. All those our ratings were up 4% this weekend for the NFL. The NFL is still the best thing on television. The PR department for CBS added, strong NFL on CBS ratings for week three, up Four plus four percent versus last year. Trump had claimed that ratings were way down due to tremendous backlash against the NFL and its players. And this is a tweet that uh, President Trump put out there yesterday morning. He says, "Ratings for NFL football are way down, except before a game starts, when people tune in to see whether or not our country will be disrespected." Oh man, yeah. Uh, J.D., I think you might have a little thing to say about this. What's your take on this? Keep the president. You know what? I mean, in a way, he might be. I mean, I'm not saying he's right. I'm just going to say it. I mean, he's not right on what he says. However, But like I said last week, however, I mean, he started this controversy last Friday in Alabama, and it continued on through the weekend and into Monday, however. I mean, I said it before. I'll say it again. Keep your nose out of matters that don't concern you, okay? Seriously. I mean, you have no right. I mean, you think you're the, I mean, just because you're the president, you have every right to get involved, however, with the NFL, however. I mean, what's he going to do next? Get involved with the NHL, the NBA, the NCAA, however? I mean, there's some points he might, we might agree to disagree on, and that's understandable. But at the same time, like I said before, just keep your nose out of things that don't concern you. And for God's sake, stop tweeting, Howard. That's where you're getting into trouble more and more. You just won't keep your big mouth shut. Yeah, that's yeah, that's been the that's been the biggest thing. I mean, the, the man is tweeting about everything nowadays. So I mean, yeah, that's a very and, and I could have said that better myself, JD. Very good point indeed. Thank you very much. And one more quick thing before we turn it over to JD for some. Uh, or some stories. One wrestling story I will bring up here on Outside the Ropes tonight. Of course, as we did talk about here before, WWE planned on bringing back several older WCW pay-per-views, with the first being Starcade, which will be coming up in the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day. Of course, down here in my, near my neck of the woods, where of course where Starcade was born, as of course Greensboro, North Carolina. But here is the story. Here, here is the story right here. Uh, several things have to do with this. First off. Uh, our main our main byline here. New match is a bit of made official for Starcade. However, the show is not planned for the WWE Network, which is a crock, in my personal opinion. Yeah. And let me go ahead and bring in the story here. Courtesy of Jeremy Thomas, we do thank him for bringing this to us as well. WWE has confirmed that the Rock and Roll Express, where they were elected to the Hall of Fame this year, will face Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson at Starcade. Holy cow. The match was confirmed after Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton responded to Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson's challenge for the event, pretty much accepted. 
According to PW Insider, the event is not currently planned as a WWE Network event and will simply a high, will be simply a higher-profile house show. At this point, WWE has yet to file a trademark on Starcade. Okay. Hmm. The matches, of course, for Starcade advertised here are the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving are as follows. The WWE Championship will be contested inside of a steel cage versus Jinder Mahal defends against Shinsuke Nakamura. The SmackDown Women's title will be online also in the steel cage with Natalya defending against Charlotte Flair. That's appropriate to have a Flair at Starcade. Yes. The United States Championship will be defending against... And who knows? Rick Flair might even be there. Who knows? Hey, let me tell you something. He was there at the first one. Why not be at the next one? You know what I mean? United States Championship will be defended inside of a triple threat match. AJ Styles defending against both Baron Corbin and now Rusev. <laughs> the SmackDown Tag Team Titles will be defended inside. Will be dependent on under Texas Tornado rules, as the New Day will take on the Usos. Also, as we just said, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson will take on the Rock and Roll Express. Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. Now, Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler, which I think now I heard uh, we'll both we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I think we heard something different about that. We'll talk about that here tonight. And also Brizongo taking on the team of Aiden English and Mike Kanellis. Uh, JD, your thoughts here on first off the Rock and Roll Express accepting the challenge made by the club, plus the fact that they WWE does not plan on putting this on the network, which is a crock. Go ahead, please. It is a crock. I mean, Starcade should be on the network. I mean, if they have all the video libraries in the past, the present, and currently in the future, and hope to have more specials in the future, then this should be. A very interesting. This should be an event that should be televised teller for the entire uh, world to see. I mean, Greensboro, of course, was the place that Bay Preview was born. However, with Starcade, however, and of course with the Rock and Roll Express now being thrown in the mix, uh, we haven't seen him in the ring for a while. Hopefully, they haven't lost a step or two. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the Rock and Roll back in Greensboro for the first time in a long time. However, and of course, we know some of the other legends going to be showing up, like I'm sure Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair. Possibly, maybe you never know. Magnum T.A. and Tully Blanchard. Dust, I almost said the wrong name. Uh, Tully Blanchard and others, however. So, uh, hopefully, uh, they have uh, something uh, exciting planned for that weekend. It should be a really good turnout. Uh, I hope it is, anyway. And, of course, tickets go on sale this Friday. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's absolutely BS that they would not televise it on the network at all. But WWE haven't yet to put a trademark on Starcade. I thought they owned everything to do with WCW. I mean, that don't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't get. I mean, they bought WCW, right? They bought everything having to do with mm-hmm. WCW. Right? Starcade's part of that history, right? I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously, it's the it's it's it's, their, it's WCW's version of WrestleMania for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, why in the world would they? Why in the world would they have to get a trademark off? They practically own it already. Yeah. They don't need to. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, well, they, well, I'm hoping they change their mind. They got plenty. They got about a couple of months to change their mind. Yep. I hope they do. By the way, tickets for Starcade go on sale this this Friday, September the 29th. Uh, uh, JD, please go ahead and proceed with your stories. I will be right back. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. What do we got? Oh yes, the box office report. We'll start off the box office report, obviously. And Kingsman, of course, however, definitely was the king of the box office this weekend, dethroning the previous movie, It. This week it took in over 39 million in its opening week, of course, mind you, Howard, in its top and its opening weekend. 
Despite the fact, however, it sought to expand on the 2015 original opening at 36.2 million and it's take up 414 million worldwide, however. Uh, let's see. The action adventure comedy starring Halle Berry, Channing Tatum, among others, however, uh, made fine system critics. Reviews for the gleefully distasteful spy romp were poor. At 51% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, Fox is saying that they could elaborate an uptick the second time around, albeit a small one. The Golden Circle also debuted with $61 million overseas, giving it a $100 million global weekend. Mr. Vaughn, of course, however, the uh, director of, I believe, this, this series, however, said that there is plans, maybe, just maybe, of making a third Kingsman film. Meanwhile, the previous movie, however, two weeks, however, it, however, definitely stayed it in the top uh, five, however. It has now grossed over $266.3 million thus far, grossing the excess of $232 million from 1932.9 or $233 million, however. It took another $30 million in this past week, and it was number two at the box office. Other movies included the Lego Ninja Go movie, Ninja Go movie which debuted in third with $21.2 million, American Assassin $6.3 million, and of course Home Again, however, which took over $3.3 million. That being said, of course, that was what happened, however, at the box office this weekend again, so uh, those were just some of the movies as well. Meanwhile, of course, the big story, obviously, is what's going on down in Louisville, Kentucky, as earlier today ESPN reported, however, that former basketball coach at the University of Louisville and Kentucky, however, uh, apparently, however, uh, where is it? I just saw it a second ago, so bear with me here, folks. Rick Pitino, believe it or not, could be, mind you, however, finding himself out of a job tonight. According to reports, however, mind you, however, Rick Pitino turned out to be a colossal waste of talent, however, mind you, despite winning national title for the Wildcats and Cardinals, however, mind you, and, however, the current basketball coach, however, was shocked when he learned, learned of the allegations. Sorry. Uh, like I said, however, has gone himself into hot water. Several weeks after the NCAA put Louisville on probation for a sex or pay scheme run by a Patino assistant, FBI secretly videotaped a July meeting in a Vegas hotel room that involved another Patino assistant discussing an Adidas-backed plan to funnel money to the family of a recruit, who would then agree to sign with Adidas-sponsored Louisville. After the assistant of Patino's left the room, according to federal documents, the former sports agent director of an Adidas AAU program continued talking with an undercover agent and a cooperating federal witness at about $100,000 payoff, however, mind you, however, to the family of a Louisville recruit. Uh, Patino said he was shocked to learn of the latest allegation, however, just as he was shocked to learn that his former staffer, Andre McGee, was running strippers into the campus dorm named after the coach's late brother-in-law to have sex with players and recruits. Shocked was a popular word Tuesday when college basketball assistant from Auburn, former NBA star Chuck Pearson, Oklahoma State Lamont Evans, Arizona's Emmanuel Book Richardson, and Southern California Tony Blair were charged with taking cash bribes to steer players to financial advisors and agents. Officials at Auburn and USC, however, used the word in statements. Oklahoma State went with the milder quote, surprised. Arizona checked in with the stronger quote, appalled. Yet the schools involved, however, mind you, in this scandal represent the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC. Miami was also implicated. The FBI alleged that Adidas attempted to pay $150,000 for a recruit to 
play for the Adidas-sponsored Hurricanes. Grab a list of all the universities in those heavyweight conferences and grab a map of the United States and behold a coast-to-coast plague of criminality and fraudulence. Four major assistant coaches, however, and six other men, however, including the director of global sports marketing at Adidas, were arrested by federal agents on corruption charges. And if you believe the small circle of opportunists accounts for all the cheating and illicit buying and selling that goes on at the highest levels of D1 basketball, you also believe that most multimillionaire coaches are pure educators first and ruthless businessmen second. On top of that, however, Louisville has now lost two ESPN 100 commitments on the fallout, however. They are listed as the following, however. Uh, uh, where is it, Teller? I just saw it a second ago here. Uh, Anthony Simp. Simmons, S-I-M-O-N-S, however, and of course, Courtney Ramey, R-A-M-E-Y, however, both decommitted from Louisville this afternoon, however, less than an hour after the school announced head coach Rick Pitino was placed on administrative leave. Simmons said in a statement on Twitter, however, just a short time ago, due to recent events that have taken place, my family and I have decided that it's in my best interest to decommit from the University of Louisville, however. Also, A.D. Tom Jurich is on paid leave. Uh, I will be reopening my commitment, and this was a very tough decision to make, uh, and I am deeply stand by this. I appreciate all the support from the Louisville fans, Har. Ramey's father, Terrell, confirmed to ESPN that his son also has reopened his commitment, to which he says, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> Ramey, a six-foot guard from Webster Groves High School, Missouri, is number 49 in the ESPN 100 and committed to the Cardinals in February. He averaged 15 points and 4.4 rebounds for the Ramey Jets United, R-A-M-E-Y, Unite on the Adidas Gauntlet circuit. Simmons, a six foot four guard from IMG Academy in Florida, however, mind you, is ranked number eight in ESPN 100 for 2018. He originally committed to Louisville last fall and was one of the most impressive players in the Under Armour Association circuit this spring and summer, averaging 20.5 points and 5.5 and rebounds for team breakdowns. As a result, Louisville has placed Patino on unpaid unadministrative leave however, after the program has been linked to an FBI investigating the fraud and corruption in basketball recruiting. They were not explicitly named in the FBI documents, but the school has confirmed it is part of the investigation. As we said, the allegations include requesting, include requesting that Diaz funnel $100,000 to the family of a prospect who would sign with Louisville. That prospect is believed to be Brian Bowen, however, who committed to the Cardinals back in early June. Meanwhile, however, Andrew McCutcheon, however, had a big night last night for the Pittsburgh Pirates and will be probably playing his last game as a member of that baseball team, maybe tonight, however, as they will be hosting the Baltimore Orioles in their final game, however, of the season at PNC Park. Meanwhile, in some other sports news, however, quickly to just let you know, however, according to reports, however, this week, however, we once again have another, however, excuse me, uh, coming up this week, of course, this uh, Thursday night will be the Packers and the Bears playing on Monday night, or Thursday night football live on Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Sunday, of course, will be Indianapolis taking on Seattle. And on Monday night, it will be the Washington Redskins taking on the Chefs, the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium, however, as far as that goes. So that is some of the basketball news, or football news to let you know. But the big story, obviously, continues to be this heartbreaking and very tragic Louisville story. And we will definitely stay on top of this story. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much there, J.D., for bringing this, uh, <clears throat> bringing this story here to our attention. 1724-444-7444, call ID 141-387-POUND. You're listening to episode number 70 of WWS <clears throat> Outside the Ropes. This is Wednesday, September 27, 2017. 
Once again, I am Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw back on the line here with you alongside the Iceman JD Jerry D. Draw Mo, of course, one third of our broadcast team for Raw Radio every Monday afternoon, as well as, of course, the 2015 and 17 Hall of Famer. And, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take it a little bit longer here, folks, so we are going to definitely now, we'll definitely get in, of course, our hot seat movie trivia challenge. And, uh, of course, I give JD the opportunity here to get his fire suit on while he does that. Let's go ahead. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and uh, let you know here. Of course, coming up uh, here at from eight to nine, right here on Talk to One Three Nine Nine Two Five Pound, it will be WCW US Wrestling Debate. As of course, King W.O. Javar T. Smith, of course, the Iceman right here, Jared Geraldo, and the Black Widow Michelle Lynn Dodds, the NWO of Madness Kingdom, will be discussing and debating on a lot of big time topics here, including, of course, what happened this past Sunday in No Mercy. This past Monday night on Raw, uh, last night on SmackDown Live, and a few other little stories here making the rounds. Uh, it'll be a very big time hit indeed, so be sure to join us. Uh, join join the NWO Madness Kingdom for Wrestling Debate <clears throat> coming up here at 8 o'clock right here on TalkShoe.com. <clears throat> well, not a little bit after, but it will be there, 139-925-pound. And, of course, 138055-pound, I'll be back on with WWS Revolution, where, of course, we'll have the latest wrestling news and views. Uh, John will have the uh, latest uh, wrestling history and birthdays. Plus, also, we'll be, we'll be bringing you, of course, uh, some thoughts and opinions about the results of last night's SmackDown Live. And, of course, other uh, points of discussion and a few little wrestling extras coming your way as well. So be sure to join us for that from 9 to 11 right here on TalkShoe.com. And I think JD is pretty much ready to go here. Yep. Uh, okay, if you're the man, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and rock and roll here. And as we've heard, a lot of these may be that JD may have done before, but of course, like I said, I mean, if it doesn't hurt to give him another try here again and see how JD does, he's ready. The chair is burning up, and he's sitting there ready to go. Let's go ahead and get going here, JD. Twenty-one questions tonight, <clears throat> of course, courtesy of polls.amctv.com. Of course, the AMC film site, of course, for the, for the super movie quiz. Let's go ahead, JD. Let's see what we have on. Let's see what the first question is up for grabs here. In the surprise hit cult film, The Gods Must Be Crazy from 1980, what object fell from the sky onto a stunned group of primitive Kalahari Bushmen? Was it a Coke bottle, poached ivory, a rifle, or a rocket launcher? Coke bottle. It's a Coke bottle. And the answer is. Yep, it was a coat bottle. An empty coat bottle tossed carelessly from a plane was considered a useful but mysterious object, a gift from the gods, but it eventually became a negative influence on the tribe. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Which character did not exist in real life in director Arthur Penn's crime film, Bonnie and Clyde, from 1967? Was it Blanche Barrow, Buck Barrow, C.W. Moss, or Texas Ranger Frank Hammer. What do they do again? Sorry about that. I, I which know. character? Which of these four characters did not exist in real life? That, but what was it? That was in, it was who? C.W. Moss. C.W. Moss. Yeah. All right, name three is. Yep. Michael J. Pollard's character of sidekick C.W. Moss was a fictionalized hybrid character of two sidekicks that accompanied the notorious Barrow Gang. So yes, indeed. Question number three. In which swashbuckler film did Errol Flynn first star opposite leading lady 
Olivia de Havilland? Was it The Adventures of Robin Hood, Captain Blood, The Charge of the Light Brigade, or The Seahawk? I'm going to say Captain Blood. Captain Blood, the answer is... Yeah, dashing 26-year-old Errol Flynn became a star appearing as Peter Blood in Michael Curtis's historically-based swashbuckler adventure, Captain Blood, of course, it was 1935. His first film of eight films from 1935 to 1941, opposite Olivia de Havilland. Wow. Okay. On the roll, J.D., very good so far. Indeed. Question number four. Which film was Charlie Chaplin's biggest box office hit? Was it City Lights from 1931, The Gold Rush from 1925, The Great Dictator from 1940, or Modern Times from 1936? I'm going to say it was The Great Dictator of 40, even though I watched Modern Times the other night. Great Dictator, the answer is? Then JD's on the roll. He's got it again. It was, in fact, The Great Dictator. Chaplin's first all-talking, all-sound film, The Great Dictator, grossed about $5 million domestic and became the most financially successful film of his career. Not bad, J.D. on the roll, number four, four in a row so far. Question number five. Famous gangster John Dillinger was gunned down by G-Men outside of downtown Chicago movie theater after watching what 1934 film? Was it It Happened One Night, Manhattan Melodrama, The Thin Man, or Viva Villa? Manhattan Melodrama. Okay, the answer is... Wow, number five and five in a row. JD's, JD's doing it well. It was, in fact, Manhattan Melodrama. Dillinger was accompanied by two women, of course, his 26-year-old girlfriend, a waitress and prostitute named Polly Hamilton, and her former boss, brothel manager Anna Sage, who was wearing an orange dress. Later, she was inaccurately dubbed the woman in red and had tipped off the G-men to Dillinger's whereabouts. Ooh, okay. Question number six. In which Hitchcock film was actress Ingrid Bergman first paired up with Cary Grant? Was it Gaslight, Notorious, Spellbound, or Under Capricorn? I'm going to say C. C? Yes. Say Spellbound. The answer is... It was actually Notorious. Bergman's first film for Hitchcock was Spellbound in 1945, but her first and only Hitchcock film co-starring with Cary Grant was the spy thriller Notorious in 1946. Her third and final Hitchcock film was Under Capricorn from 1949. Good roll there, J.D., with five in a row. Not too bad, man. Question number seven. What was the Marlon Brando character, which was a washed-up boxer named Terry Malloy, raising on his rooftop in director Ela Kazan's Oscar-winning On the Waterfront from 1954 about mob corruption. Was it canaries, hawks, parrots, or pigeons? Pigeons. Pigeons. The answer is, yep, it was pigeons. The lowly pigeons that Terry raised in coops on his rooftop represented the waterfront dock workers who were caged in by the violent and corrupt mobsters. Question number eight. In the Howard Hawks Western Rio Bravo from 1959, which actor portrayed the jailed murder suspect Joe Burdett, who caused a town-wide siege of hired guns trying to release him? Was it Claude Akins, Ward Bond, Walter Brennan, or Dean Martin? I'm going to say Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan. The answer is, oh, actually it was Claude Akins. 
Texas Sheriff John T. Chance, played by, of course, John Wayne, gathered together a very group of individuals, including a toothless Stumpy, who was Walter Brennan, an alcoholic ex-deputy named Dude, played by Dean Martin, and young gunman Colorado, played by Ricky Nelson, to assist him in keeping Burdett, played by Claude Akins, from breaking out of jail. Question number nine. Cinema's first custard pie in the face was in which 1913 silent film comedy? Was it The Bangville Police, A Noise from the Deep, A Muddy Romance, or Toplitsky and Company? I want to say Toplitsky and Company. Okay, the answer is? Actually, it was from A Noise from the Deep. Matt said it's Keystone Cops comedy, A Noise from the Deep in 1913, contained the first instance in which a in film of a pie being thrown in someone's face. In this instance, comedian Mabel Norman threw a pie into the kisser of Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> he probably ate it too. Um, okay. okay. Question number 10. For which film did Charlie Chaplin win his sole competitive Academy Award? Was it The Circus from 1927-28, The Great Dictator from 1940, Limelight from 1952, or Monsieur Verdot from 1947? Limelight, 52. Limelight, 52, and the answer is? Yep, it was Limelight. Chaplin was co-winner of, the, of Best Score for his film Limelight in 1952, receiving his Oscar award in 1972 when the film finally became eligible for Oscar consideration. But he waited 20 years to get that, to get that Oscar. My goodness. Question number 11. Who was the first film actress to appear on the cover of Time magazine? Was it Ethel Barrymore, Clara Bow, Louise Brooks, or Mary Pickford? I think if I remember correctly, it was Mary Pickford. Mary Pickford. The answer is, actually it was Ethel Barrymore. American stage and silver screen actress Ethel Barrymore appeared on the November 10, 1924 cover of Time magazine about eight months before the first film actor Charlie Chaplin appeared on the same cover. Question number 12. Which of the following 1937 films was the debut film with a speaking role for 16-year-old Lana Turner, who, be who became known ever after as The Sweater Girl? Was it The Great Garrick, A Star is Born, They Won't Forget, or Topper? I'm going to say Topper. The Topper, the answer is? Actually, it was They Won't Forget. After Lana Turner's memorable appearance in a tight sweater in the Warner's film, her career took off. Although in the role, she was murdered in a schoolhouse in the opening sequence during a Southern Towns holiday parade. <laughs> oh, boy. Question number 13. Which of the following cult films is usually considered as the first cult film to generate the midnight movie phrase? Was it El Topo, Eraserhead, Harold and Maude, or the Rocky Horror Picture Show? The Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was a gruesome movie. Funny, but it was gruesome. And it was actually El Topo, Topo, whatever you want to pronounce it. Alejandro Jodorowsky's, that's best I can pronounce that, violent and allegorical Mexican Western El Topo premiered at New York's Elgin Theater at midnight in December of 1970 and played for many months as a cult sensation. It's not been sure this is the same month and year that my sister was born. 
Question number 14. What was the first of many controversial vigilante films beginning in the 1970s starring Charles Bronson as an obsessive vengeful killer seeking justice? Was it Death Wish, The Evil That Men Do, The Exterminator, or Vigilante? I'm going to say Vigilante. Vigilante. Answer is... Ooh, J.D. It was Death Wish. Charles Bronson starred as Crusader Paul Kersey, single-mindedly seeking revenge following the brutal deaths of loved ones in a series of five Death Wish films from 1974 to 1994. I think, didn't we talk about this? Didn't we say Bruce Willis was supposed to do a remake of this? He's playing Kersey, yeah. Charles Bronson still was, 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 was... did it best, I mean. Willis is a bad dude, too, but, I mean, you know how I feel about that. All right, question number 15. Who was the first American actress under 21 years of age to receive a Best Actress Oscar nomination? Was it Isabel Ajani, Keisha Castle-Hughes, Kira Knightley, or Ellen Page? I'm going to say Ellen Page. Ellen Page? Yep, it was Ellen Page at 20 years old. And 335 days was nominated, of course, for. I'm sure JD will take a crack as to what she was nominated for. Juno. You're absolutely right. Juno from 2007. Joining three other under 21 actresses from nine U.S. countries, it was Johnny, Castle Hughes, and Knightley in the 20 something club. So the other three that were not from America. Ellen Page was the only one that was from America that was under 21. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Question number 16. In the musical On the Town from 1949, what was the occupation of, Barry, of Betty Garrett's character, Hildy Esther Hazy? Was she an anthropologist, aspiring actress, a dancer, or a taxi driver? I'm going to say taxi driver. Taxi driver, the answer is? Yep, she was a... Betty Garrett's character, Hildy, a taxi cab driver, was the love interest of Sailor Chip, played by Frank Sinatra, while on shore leave in New York City. So there you go. Question number 17. Which young singing star reportedly saved Universal Studios from bankruptcy in the mid-1930s? Was it Deanna Durbin, Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, or Shirley Temple? Hmm, I'm going to say Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple. The answer is? Actually, it was Deanna Durbin. 15-year-old Deanna Durbin's first feature film role for Universal was was in Three Smart Girls from 1936 and later in 100 Men and a Girl from 1937 and uh, pretty much almost single-handedly saved the studio from oblivion. Wow. My goodness. Question number 18. And I think, J.D., I think we know this. I might not even get, need to get the answers, but let me go ahead and ask it anyway. Question number 18. What was the occupation of Bill Murray in the modern romantic comedy Groundhog Day from 1990? What a man, of course. And yeah, that's right. TV meteorologist, of course. Murray portrayed Phil Connors, a Pittsburgh. <laughs> that's how you knew that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they shot some of that film in Punxsy, I remember, actually. And where? Punxsutawney. Where did they film some of that? What did you say? Punxsutawney. Oh, 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 that's right. That's right. That's where the that's where the groundhog is, right? Okay. How far is that from you? About an hour and a half, two hours, depending on which way you go. Right. Uh, Pittsburgh, of course, Phil Connors is a Pittsburgh TV weatherman. 
who found himself caught in a time loop in which he had to repeat the same day, Groundhog Day, which is, of course, February 2nd, over and over again. That was a funny movie, though. I've never seen that movie. In which of John Waters' films was there a filthiest person alive contest? Was it Female Trouble from 1974, Hairspray from 1977, Pink Flamingos from 1972, or Polyester from 1981? I'm going to say Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos. The answer is absolutely right. Pink Flamingos, among other things, including a bizarre chicken love scene. Ooh. And it came on... And I'm going to do my best to pronounce this. Coprophagia scene. That's how I pronounce it. Yep. Pink Flamingos in 1972 featured a filthiest people alive contest with Babs Johnson played by Divine, Vine for the dubious title. <laughs> a chicken lusty. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> it's bizarre, man. Ooh, my goodness. Which, okay, question number 20. Which fictionalized city of the future was overridden with crime and violence in director Paul Verhoeven's Robocop from 1987? Was it Detroit, Los Angeles, New York, or D.C.? Detroit. Detroit. The answer is, yep, Detroit, a dystropic city played by crime, was saved by the creation of an indestructible cyborg law enforcer named Robocop. Peter Weller did a fine job in playing that character. And the final question, in the classic MGM musical scene in the rain of 1952, during which song did actor Donald O'Connor, playing Cosmo Brown, run up a wall and complete a somersault? Was it Good Morning, Make Him Laugh, Moses Supposes, or Singing in the Rain Itself? Make Him Laugh. Make Him Laugh, the answer is, you got it. Song and Dance Man O'Connor's most memorable solo dance number was the frantic Make Him Laugh full of acrobatic pratfalls. And let's see how J.D. did here. J.D. blew him away. 13 correct at 21, J.D. Fine job tonight, my man. Fine job, indeed. I tell you what, hey, when he gets on fire, folks, he, I think, I think keep him in that chair for a while really kind of helps him out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, folks, I do, of course, thank the Iceman, J.D., Jared, D. Geronimo for joining me here tonight. Remember, coming up in about 20 minutes, we will have WWS Wrestling Debate, 139-925-pound, of course, with the NWO of Madness Kingdom. And also, of course, uh, from 9 to 11, we will have WWS Revolution, where I'll be back home with the rest of the panel, which we've got to handle, as we, of course, will do more wrestling news and views, history and birthdays, and, of course, talk about SmackDown Live last night, among other things. For the Iceman JD, Jeremy Geronimo, this is Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw saying thank you so much for listening. Outside the Ropes is a broadcast of the WWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com, where we are two years older and continuing to be bolder. The radio network continues to be and will forever remain not only your wrestling, but also your pop culture connection as well. Thank you very much, JD. To you on the red carpet, take care of yourselves and each other, everyone. And as always, here in the WWS Radio Network, right here on TalkShoot.com, God bless everyone, and have a good evening. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.